everybody. Welcome to the Faith and Fandom Podcast. Uh, today we are joined by Leonore Ortega-Till of Five Iron Frenzy and a lot of other cool things that she does. And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, this is her second time on the podcast and we're excited to have her back. So hi, how are you doing? Good. I'm doing good. It's Denver. It's sunny. There's snow on the ground. What else can you ask for? <laughs> I've never asked for any of those things, but I'm down for it. I do want to, I do want to <laughs> go to Denver, but I'm, I'm from uh, the the southeast where if there's an inch of snow the whole world shuts down yeah no we have inches and inches and inches of snow and uh it would shut down if the sun didn't come and melt it away a bit but what i like about denver is every third day or so the sun comes out melts all the snow and then it's just beautiful all over again starts all over it doesn't get like dirty nasty old snow yeah we there's only been a snow in my area that tracks more than three inches maybe three times in my life <laughs> so it's well it's, you wouldn't last here dude <laughs> it, I, I had that thought too like of uh you know places of that nature because i've had some friends that have invited me more towards the midwest in the winter i'm like uh-huh, we'll yeah, see right right <laughs> because uh i i dj'd a wedding in january of last year and um when I went, it was like three hours from my house and it snowed the day of the wedding, which it was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful, but I had a little hatchback full of sound equipment and it's, it snowed. And, um, again, North Carolina, we're scared of everything, uh, snow related. (laughs) And my hotel was up and they're like, all right, peace out, get out. And (gasps) so like there's fresh snow, it's still snowing. Um, and like my hotel's like, peace, get out of here. Um, and so I drove back and I, I didn't wreck my car, but I lost control of my car three times Mm -hmm. on the drive home Right. where I'm just like going 45 and it just spins and end up in a ditch and like (laughs) made it one piece, but it's just like, nah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it too well. Um, so the, right after the last time we talked, uh, you, y'all announced the, uh, the next album you did the kickstarter that went really mm-hmm. well again uh, I, kickstarter that did well for five iron frenzy can you believe it that, yes. no i seriously like <laughs> the first time my mind was blown then the second time my mind was i don't i don't get it same thing for the second time we're like rushing to put up more items and more things this time so i put jet the girl tours which essentially, um, you know, pre-COVID was the best idea in the world. Now it's kind of taking time to get those fulfilled. But it's basically, I'll show you around Denver, all the band houses we lived in, the places we play and hang out with you, the diners, all that stuff. And I put up like five and they went immediately. So I put up 10. That's crazy. Like who, it's it's so much support, so much love. It's insane. Well, after the first Kickstarter, I mean, you guys literally set records. Yes. Well, yeah, we did. We were, we were like, what wall street journal. What up? <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the thing. Like y'all were set records and, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I say this with no shade towards mm-hmm. other bands, but other bands of your original generation. Right. Right. Followed suit and without the same response. And I know, I know it's crazy. And, and here's the thing though, I have to be honest when I say that I am proud though of the albums we put out, like it wasn't just half-assing it and it wasn't, um, reproducing old albums or kind of doing any kind of shtick stuff like we worked hard that's why the song that's why the albums take forever 
because we are a democracy and everybody gets a say and everybody goes over the lyrics and everybody goes over the, the bridge and the songs and Scott's sending five different versions of bridges for us to vote over. And so we take it super seriously. So at the end of the day, we're really happy with our product. So at least people know that, like when they support us, it's not just easy for us to do, it's work. And I, and I feel good about what we put out. When uh, Inch of a Million Plots, I mean, it's coming near like a, it was a dark and stormy night. It's going to be 10 years old this year. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. Engine of a Million Plots is, you know, mm -hmm. getting near there. The album is held up really well. Like, yeah. I, mean, I know until it shakes apart, it's still new for a lot of people. And a lot of people sure. really haven't tracked on it yet. Um, mm -hmm. They're still finding it. But Engine of a Million Plots really holds up solidly. I took a big break from listening to it. So you're kind of reminding me to go back because I listened to some of the songs that we play live a lot. Uh, we play Into Your Veins a lot. We play So Far, but we haven't, uh, I think we played Dark and Stormy, but I kind of took a break just even from listening to it. And it's time to like get that thing out and rock it again. <laughs> I've seen The Sun is still maybe mm, my top 10. And what do you think of that? Oh! <laughs> and you know what I have to say? No, this is what's funny for me. Uh, Jeremy, who uh, mixed our album and mastered it, he he put the saxophone, he produced it. He put the saxophone so high in that mix, which I love. But like at the end, that's the loudest part, I think, on the whole album for me. Like Into the Sun, it's like, or I've seen the sun and it's like the saxophone is just, Whoa! I like it though. I'm just right. not used to being that showy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it came off really well. And um, I know that uh, until the shakes parts, or until the shakes apart, I'll say this, the vinyl artwork, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is literally the most gorgeous vinyl artwork like with the fire and the sleeve and the burned dandelions I, I mean just like thank you unoriginal vinyl yes 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 that so... came through it took it took a long time because you know oh. it comes from Europe and you know with COVID everything took forever but again beautiful and the whole theme of um I don't know if you noticed but there's three different vinyls so there's the green and the gray and the bright oranges. And so the green represents, well, I have to go in the right order. So the the gray is the uh, the ash of the city getting burned down. Okay. And, and then, no, 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 it starts with the oranges. So the fire, right? Yeah. Fire, everything's on fire. Then the ash, but then the green is the regrowth of okay. everything and how beautiful things can be after um, the purge, essentially, after things get kicked around and there's a rebirth. Kind of reminds, makes me think of like Eden too, <laughs> to go deep for a bit there. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and I was at a, uh, well, for a, several shows I did Comic-Cons this summer, mm. I wore either my uh, Until the Shakes Apart shirt or hoodie and mm -hmm. people would be like, is that a five iron Frenchie shirt? And I met uh, one of your friends at the show in Charlotte, the um, oh, cool. the poet, uh, Darren, maybe. Alan? Or, Alan, yes. Yeah, Alan the Fisherman. Oh, Alan yeah. the Fisherman. And like he saw me walking through the show wearing your shirt and we pulled he pulled me aside and we talked about um mm -hmm. five iron for a while as well. And then I didn't realize it when I did it, but I did a con that was next to a seminary. Mm. And so like people saw my five iron shirt and like were like, all right, let's talk about this. And like <laughs> You could get like a good response or a, that album. I mean, it's, it's divisive. And I think that's good. <laughs> and and that was the thing. Like um, 
people that recognized it was a five iron shirt um mm-hmm. that were just excited oh i love five iron but then um but this album is so angry it's as i had seminary students <laughs> like i'm concerned about this and like i'm like, praying for them <laughs> and i like how you said that i'm concerned about this <laughs> and, and there was and there was there's some people that were genuinely like you know i don't like this direction and i'm just like listen uh the one thing i said is this album and this is my opinion obviously i don't know what y'all said on it was like this album reflects life in the last two years and is a very strong picture of that and i was like yeah if you're concerned you should be (laughs) not about just the band (laughs) don't waste your time thinking about the band look around at your neighbors look around at the government look around at the situation look around the world it is disturbing we should be disturbed by the way, how do you pronounce the last song title? What song is it? That's uh, Huerfano or something. Oh, Huerfano. Huerfano is um, it means orphan in Spanish. Okay, I didn't know yeah. that. I am a very okay. uh, bad Hispanic family member. Okay. Um, no, but what's interesting about that song is um, so Reese sent us a text and he said he wanted to do a song about bullying, and he said, uh, and it was just a text, not an email, so we had to go kind of you know, in text, you don't share the whole story, but he said, everybody share a little bit about a time you've been bullied. And everybody did boom, 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 boom. And he wrote a song and all those examples are from different people in the band. Oh, wow. So it makes it sound like one person, but they're all true. Like the, the punk rock hair one was me. I, um, yeah, I figured. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we all have different stories that were like, ouch, ouch, ouch. That one I think is my favorite track for the album um <laughs> like i think that one just really hits me really well but uh yeah can i tell you one more secret about it please i'd love it so scott sent it out and i'm like token hardcore girl in the band like i listen to a lot of punk and hardcore like you know veil and hot water music and stuff like that and uh i'm the one who wrote those shout outs punk rock hair and you be law. like i was like they have to go in there i was like i can't record it it can't be my voice so i was like you guys have to do it all beefy like like dudes you know but it has to be there like i listen to this kind of music and that's where it fits and scott yeah. was like we'll try it and i was like yeah just you don't try it that's where it goes dude i felt so good about that and it's it is perfect that is exactly mm-hmm. how it should be because um, that's how it would be at a show and that's how you almost envision doing it at a show right like in the pit like oh <laughs> uh my kids do that in the back seat so oh like, good okay uh, good they'll good. they'll literally be like because two of them you know are close to teenagers now and mm-hmm. they'll be on their phones my youngest one will be doing something else won't be singing mm-hmm. any of the rest of the song i just go right back down to it well question two like um for that album are there any other songs uh that you are, are your favorites? Because I've been surprised because I haven't talked a ton about this album. We've talked a bit about it, but it's always interesting to me to hear what people gravitate towards. Because for me, when I first hear a song, I might not like it. And then later it's my favorite. That's what always happens. I don't know why. To me, uh, if I'm, I got to check the song order, but it's the last sure. two songs are my favorite um, on what the order is. Oh, okay. So then the other one is about the oil guy. Uh, is it? Is it Wildcat? Um, yes. Yes. And that song is poignant too, because 
it has the line that is the, um, I did another podcast and I talked about that, but it has the line, the redeeming line about um, the light, the, what does it say? The cracks are where the light. The wound is in. where the light shines the in. The wound is where the light shines in. And Look at your smile. <laughs> yes. That's my like, favorite. I love that line. I love that line. I do love, and um, uh, Switchfoot has a whole album title of that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, where the light shines through. And, sure. uh, and like Leonard Cohen came up with the concept too. And like, it's, it's a biblical concept, but it's the idea of like, who wants to make an album that's a total downer. And so that's where I challenge people when they say, this is all negative. This is all angry. And it's like, is it, is it, I don't know. Oh, and the, my other favorite one was like, is like something I missed that yeah. one. That one is like warm fuzzies Ouch. for me. Uh, right. Yeah. It's just the, uh, mm -hmm. that I need a low dose of some of you believing in me. Like I'm like, I oh. need a low dose of you believing in me, <laughs> Ouch. but beautiful. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, and yeah. I, the thing with the angry end of it is I, I identified with all of the angry, um, mm -hmm. portions. It's just like my only, it's not a criticism. My only thought was like, man, this really is a 2020, 21 mm -hmm. album. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah. So I wasn't unhappy with the album. I was unhappy with the time. And some of the it's seasons. It's so funny too how some people got so upset. We called it Assgate because Reese put the word ass in one of the songs about you know something about adults, and it's it's kind of immature. But he was just trying to be cheesy, you know, and funny. And people really got upset. And I don't know. I'm on the fence about it. I am on the fence about it. I know I have a couple friends that have said, "Can you please get me a clean version?" And I'm like, I would love to, but how much work is that? And I don't know if our producers would do it. I don't know. You know, how do we get? around to that and then it's also like well just get over it <laughs> i don't know it's a hard one and so i my oldest daughter is a musical like nerd on a lot of things mm -hmm. and she's poured through these albums with me and so like when that came out like and we actually listened to the whole album together her thought was like it's a weird choice that that would be the first song they use profanity on i know because there's <laughs> angry songs right <laughs> There's there's all these other angry songs. There's so many other opportunities. Like you know, because it's like there's that Isn't that meme concept of every PG thirteen movie is allowed mm -hmm. one f word, and sure. and they're like if that means Lord of the Rings could have one, so where would you drop it in that? Oh answer? yes, <laughs> Gollum. Yeah, and so it's stuff like that. But you're that like if funny. if you were to give me a five iron frenzy song, that would be with an f word. Or no, I'd stick with just any profanity. But yeah, either sure. anyone, but like, cause even I remember like with Brave St. Saturn days, mm -hmm. um, having to like edit that, um, for, I hated uh, that they edited that. He said, I'll go to hell. It was about a man that was hurt and angry and broken. And he was saying it wasn't, it was a character in a song saying it. So that's also where there's a bit of a, well, you know, I used to go to scum of the earth church and that's the church that five iron founded back in the day. Be, well, came out of our Bible study. And we had a Christmas Eve service where we would do poetry for Christmas Eve. And my best friend at the time, her name is Mary Kate, uh, Kate, and she was going to read a poem about uh, juvenile delinquents, basically, that she was working with. And she didn't call them that, but where they were saying the F word over and over and over. And she was going to read it during Christmas Eve. And so the elders of the church, which, you know, we're a bunch of rat tat punk rockers and whatnot, but we had a little board group. And they're a little older than us at the time, probably just 30s. And they're like, do we let her use the F word in the Christmas Eve service? And they did. And they did. And the reason they did is they said, we would rather have Kate and the people who like this poem and understand this poem coming to church 
there's a million other places people could go on Christmas Eve if they don't like this kind of stuff. But who's going to be a safe place for people that need this raw honesty, this brokenness? And, and it, some people it, left the church over it. I can see it. Um, yeah, yeah you can see it. Mm -hmm. Working in pastoral ministry for the last hot minute and everything else, I get it completely. I know that, you know, if I mm -hmm. did it on my Christmas Eve service, I definitely like <laughs> yeah. some percussions. <laughs> But, but I mean, I'm, I'm kind of proud that we that it happened because, you know, it's one of those things where if we can't get down and dirty and raw, like even like the album, like what we're talking about, if we censor ourselves too much, it's like when you watch the news, you're not censored, be honest. And then when your music is going to be censored too much and not help you wrestle with things in a challenging way, come on, let's just go there. There was, a, you know because my youngest now is about to turn 10. And mm -hmm. um, so like, we were always really careful on like musical of like what we like let he her hear language wise and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, then during the pandemic, my kids watch Hamilton and mm. it's just like, you know, at that it's point, it's spicy. It's spicy. <laughs> and, Very. Like, and I'm like, we bought the clean album. But Still, even, the themes are spicy. The themes are the concepts. The reality of life is spicy. And even the clean version is not a clean version. And so it's just like, I was just like, so like, there'll be times where I'm like, <sighs> y'all have watched Hamilton or, you know, <laughs> and that, that's been my, my going thing. I was like, you're not going to unhear this stuff. I was just like, make good life choices. Yeah. And yeah. You know, mm -hmm. Well, my kids now, so I have a 15 year old and a 16 year old. Well, she's almost 15 next week. And we'll be, they'll, they always fight over my music. Let me put in my music, which means plug in their phone to the car, you know, so we can all hear it. And they'll go, oh, this one has a bad word. Well, they censor it for me, for mom. They'll tell me, they're like, she won't like this, but they know they're not going to get in trouble anymore because they know they're listening to it. And I'm like, mm, I was, so it's kind of like, but they're, they understand, you know, my mom, I remember one time I said, why do you let me listen to stuff that has cuss words? And she goes, well, you don't cuss. She goes, if you did, I'd stop letting you listen to it. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And that's at this point, you know, I, my oldest is turning 15 in about three mm -hmm. weeks. I've never heard her use profanity. Right. Like in any capacity. And, you know, I'm not saying she doesn't, but I've never heard it. And, right. you know, and she's, in the last few months, she's become a uh, Swifty and like Swifty. a that's a Taylor Swift fan. Oh, <laughs> look at me. I don't even know. <laughs> uh, and but like that's the thing. Taylor stuff from what I've now learned started mm -hmm. out bubblegum ish. And now yeah. like the last three or four albums are raw and like yeah you know, f-bombs <laughs> all over the place and i'm like oh really yeah dude I had no um, idea. yeah it's explicit lyrics on all the last four of her albums i'm shocked wow um and they're not and it's one it of was those two live crew yeah. <laughs> it's it's gone pretty crazy just listen to it and just like oh but it's not like frivolous mm. and it's always been the same thing with like a Mumford and Sons has been one of my favorite mm -hmm. bands for a while. They mm -hmm. will, it, I, they've dropped one song on every album they put out where that one song has the F word in it and there's no other profanity on the rest of the album. And well, maybe Five Round just needs to do that and get it over with and get our fans desensitized. I'm sure a lot of people are going to hate that when I oh, say yeah, that. Absolutely. Because uh, they're, they're still, <laughs> but that's, but what you, the statement you made about you would want people 
that would connect with something that's a little more raw. That's what you're mm-hmm. there for. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was doing the first faith and fandom book, um, I had a conversation with Lifeway um, because they were interested in it, mm. but, but not like we're going to commit yet. And um, they right. gave, they gave me a list of like, if we're going to do it, you got to remove these things. Edits. <laughs> uh, there was the edits. And uh, one of the things was there was a chapter on breaking bad. In there. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And they're sure. like, they're like, you got to get this out of here. And, um, yeah. and, uh, Grand Theft Auto was the other one. Oh, wow, and, yeah. And they're like, um, I'm like, no, that's like, yeah, this needs to be in there. Book. yeah. And so a few years later, uh, I was at some, uh, event with Sidewalk Profits or, and some <laughs> other folks. And, uh, like, there was a mom buying music books for her kids. And, mm-hmm. um, she's, and she's looking through the chapter list and she's like, Grand Theft Auto Five. Why would, <laughs> why would you have a Bible study on that? And I'm like, and she's, yeah, north of, an... she's north of fifty, and she has a fourteen year old kid. And I just said, hey, um, yeah. does your fourteen year old child play Grand Theft Auto Five? No. And she's like, yes. I was like, oh. And I that... was like, <laughs> I was like, did you buy it for him? And she's oh. like, yes. Oh. And I was like. All right. Would you rather him find something encouraging in it or just pretend like it didn't happen? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so it's, okay. it's always a, a line and, you know, sure, if, sure, sure, sure. if you're trying to actually stay on that line of mm-hmm. you know, making everybody happy, you're. Yeah. Well, I remember, I think it is, uh, I think the band was, oh, Pink Floyd. And I read a quote once that said, writing for the fans is the fool's game. And sometimes people will, you know, when I do interviews and they're like, did you pick how many ska songs, how many old school ska songs, how much punk rock songs, how much, you know, kind of like easy listening, how much, and I'm like for the fans. So we like the album kind of balance. And I'm thinking we don't ever think about the fans. No, no concept. It's like, what do we like? What music do we like? What songs do we like? What groove do we like? What horn parts do we like? What, what subject matter do we like? It's kind of like, if I wouldn't listen to it, I wouldn't, you know, it's not like a balance. We don't go over it like that. It's more musical and more, I don't know, it's intentional, but it's not for fans because you don't know. Everyone likes different things. And and when you're actually creating for yourselves, it has a more authentic feel with everything you do. Anyway. Absolutely. I would hate to get on stage and play a song that we hated. Like that wouldn't even, it wouldn't even come to fruition because we wouldn't write it. So uh, since uh, we've talked last talked, you've played two shows. Yeah, as um, five more. iron frenzy. <laughs> we need and some more, but we will. You've but been yeah, playing. We played, you've, we played two awesome shows, though. Yeah, and I was really sad because, like, uh, I'd mentioned to you about the um, or I'd mentioned to somebody about uh, not wanting to go to the festival in uh, Georgia or Alabama because Furnace Fest, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I'm only be going for you guys, and it wouldn't be super mm. fruitful. Um, just for right. that, and then I had my own thing on the September show. But how how were the shows for you? Amazing, amazing. The Denver show. I mean, playing Denver is awesome because our kids come, and our best friends come, and it's just, it's you know, hometown gothic, really fun. And I'd never met the Planet Smashers. They're a very fun ska band from Canada. And a lot of them just spoke just French, which was really cool too. Um, MXPX has worked a lot with them. 
And so, yeah, sharing the stage with them was fun. It was a fun show. It was no drama. It was good to see everybody. And then we had a nice um, practice. We, we, everyone flew in on Thursday, Thursday and Friday. We had practices, went out to eat, had a birthday party for Andy and um, Sunny. It was their birthday. So honestly, just the getting together and seeing each other is so much also a part of our band. And then Furnace Fest was insane. I didn't know it was going to be that awesome. It was amazing. Avail, Stretch Armstrong, um, Sunny Day Real Estate. Like watching the bands was just as cool as playing. Uh, Newfound Glory. Like there were so, 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 so many bands. Under Oath. It was like some old school Christian stuff, some hardcore stuff, a lot of metal stuff I'd never heard before. Um, and then, you know, Sunny Day, just some really beautiful big time stuff, hanging out, enjoying each other's company. The backstage was air conditioned. We sat around a big table and chatted. So cool. So good. Uh, are there future tour plans or anything coming up? It doesn't really work like that. Like we have a booking person, uh, booking team, and they work with us and we figure out our schedules and come up with it. They're not really tours. They're usually flyouts, like two two spots in a row, usually a Friday and a Saturday within driving distance. Yeah. Uh, we don't have anything right now, but yeah, we're in the works on getting it. We all want to, and we're all ready to. So it's just when our schedule and when uh, something works out for us. Cause again, like another thing that is lame is um, we're expensive just cause we have eight people plus a sound person plus, you know, flights, hotel rooms, renting cars, merch, you know, getting the merch out there. It's, we're not a cheap band to book. It'd be cooler if, you know, somehow we could bring our costs down a bit, but we're, we're pricey, but I think it's worth it. I think it's fun. Uh, but I think the logistics of a ska band has got to be a nightmare compared to like a four person band. Yeah. And that's just been one of my last things is like, I just need my kids to see you guys live at some point. Ah, okay. Definitely. Uh, well, we're not going to stop for a long time. We have no, and the joke is now, and I, I say, uh, I say it, but it's also like, it was a joke like a few years ago and now it's getting like, ay, ay, ay. Uh, I'll be in this band when I'm on menopause at some point. <laughs> like, like I'm, I just turned, well, I turned in October, I turned 46, which is nuts to think I'm in the band at this age. And like, you know, we're all, you know, getting up there, but it's, but it's fun. And you see a lot of bands our age now too. Like a lot of the bands like Mustard Plugs coming through and you see Mephiscopheles and a lot of these bands, even Les and Jake, they're kicking it and people aren't getting any younger, but it's fun. Mm. So my wife will already gone through menopause by the next time we see you. So <laughs> oh, it's going to be very interesting touring, like, and everyone's like graying and balding and just, you know, we're at some point it's just ridiculous, but why not when you can, why not? I have one more five iron question for you. Um, okay. What is there a song that you want to be written that hasn't been written yet? Like, is there something you've, want five iron to make a song about or anything that you feel like is missing from y'all's catalog mm. oh my gosh that's heavy i mean we kind of talked about the migrant issue we've kind of talked about gun control we've talked about i We've talked a lot about brokenness, but, you know, I think that, I don't know. I don't know. I, th I, I can't say, because we write from what happens to us in our lives. And so I think the most beautiful thing, what I like that we do is that we, 
well, it's Reese. Reese's lyrics is often looking at an issue, but then looking inward. So I'm curious to see in his life, I guess, becoming an empty nester. We haven't really written, you know, as our kids get older, you know, our parents are starting to age and some parents of uh, band members have passed away now, which is tragic. And that might lead to, you know, some really heavy lyrics. And I think of that song by Jimmy World, you know, uh, the angels song when angels bring you home or whatever, uh, but just songs like that, more about death, maybe more about loss. But I find I'm, I'm an optimist. So I think songs about encouragement or rebirth or coming back or things like that. That's more of what I like to see in our catalog. Um, so I, I guess we'll just have to see what happens in our lives. Songs about, you know, loss and things like that really are good connection points, but I do mm-hmm. think we need like, solid hope anthems as well and that's one of the things i've loved about a five iron for you know years is that you you've got a good mix of here's some pain here's some hope and And it could be in the same song like blue cone (laughs) it can be and um i had a really good uh connection moment um of over some loss issues because both of my parents have passed and Mm -hmm. um uh are you familiar with cameron crow uh okay um i they made a Broadway play of Almost Famous. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Almost Famous is my favorite movie ever. And Elizabethtown is in my top whatever, but mm-hmm. it's my go-to grieving movie. Okay. Um, because it deals with loss of parents and stuff like that. And it helped me mourn the loss of both my parents in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I heard there's going to be an Almost Famous musical on Broadway. Literally bought a ticket to the opening night. Mm-hmm. Um, flew in. I've never seen a broadway play i was there 18 wow. hours flat flew in ate some food went to the show and um it was awesome but uh i was running out trying to get on the subway to get back to my hotel and mm-hmm. uh cameron crow was just in the back of the room and wow. um so i was trying not to start like a, a mob but it's like <laughs> sir i just need you to know that you your movies have changed my life and mm-hmm. um he said you know and he's like oh thanks and he's just kind of like carry on and yeah. and i and uh but i just said uh and i told him elizabethtown helped me get through the death of both of my parents mm. and so he and what i didn't realize at that point until that his mom had just passed away in may oh and so he literally grabbed me by the shoulder oh. and said not everybody gets elizabethtown but we get elizabethtown and oh. he took and he took a photo with me and i was just like what <laughs> there you and, go that's cool it's just that thing of like when you feel when you feel that empathy connection it makes a big difference and so but i think that's one of the things five irons has done so beautifully is they've created a lot of good connection points across mm-hmm. the years um, i mean writing car for me was um that's about my brother passing away and the music so the song micah had written it and it's it was one of those things where it's it's not musically something i understand very well it's very technical you know the beat is very technical and the time signature is very technical, but I did my best. And I think it came out. I think it came out okay and raw, but the, but the song that I think that I did the best of capturing um, loss is all that is good. Like that was loss of some of my friends faith and just trying to stand up for them and explain that we are, you know, do all streams lead to one C was the big question of our 20s, right? Like, especially when you're a believer and you're going to a secular college and you're falling in love with non-Christians and you're, you know, finding your way. And just the idea of like, 
you the loss is the loss of innocence in that song mm. that's awesome that's a bigger picture on that song than i realized um <laughs> okay <laughs> that's i've always enjoyed it but you know I it's about it's about scott and scott at the time scott had come out saying you know he didn't think he was a christian anymore and that was that rocked us because one because we were naive and young and non-christian and a non-christian idea of like someone in our band like how do we protect him from the world and how do we protect the world from him like oh my gosh what is going to happen now to our group and and what happens when it's almost like these aid these days you know people drop like flies deconstruction deconstruction and it's it's just the reality and even marriages you know dropping like flies yeah. and the idea of so much loss happening and it's it's a challenge but recognizing that you can still love people and not believe the same thing was the was the challenge for me to open up my heart to a bigger picture and i remember like you know because i'm only like i'm in y'all's age book bracket mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um like i remember when like the whole thing with scott being like publicly announced because i know it wasn't initially publicly announced like mm -hmm. it rocked my world and oh just, yeah he wrote a whole statement and it was it was cool the way he did it he wasn't afraid you have to be true to who you are but wow it was yeah but i also think that's been something i've really enjoyed beautifully in the fact that you guys have like regelled and like come back together stronger i feel like over the years as well so that's been really neat i'm closer to scott and andy now than i've ever been they're my brothers and will always be yeah um let me ask you this just because you mentioned it uh with your daughter how is parenting teenagers going for you oh <laughs> well i'll be <laughs> honest so the first in the beginning it was hard and i say in the beginning because the beginning being we took them out of school and homeschooled them during the pandemic which the pandemic for our family, and I hate to say this because I know so many people experienced so much loss, you know, loss of careers, loss of health, loss of family members, loss, loss, loss. But the pandemic for us was beautiful in that we got to spend a lot of time together. So we live in a big house with my uh, husband's parents. And so we had our own little pod. So we had my husband working from home, me working from home, the two kids being homeschooled and my my two nephews were homeschooled here too. So my mother-in-law, who is a teacher, homeschooled all the kids. She basically made like a one-room schoolhouse. And she had like fourth grade, seventh grade, ninth grade. I don't know how many grades going, like a bunch of them. And um, so all the cousins were together all the time. So after they went back to school, I felt like a sigh of relief that they got their friendships back. But oh my gosh, I mourned it because all of a sudden they came back as teenagers and I was like, where are my kids? Like children, where are my cuddlers? Where are my, you know, they have their friends. They're doing, my daughter's doing her makeup. She's on the phone. She's hanging out with friends. She's suddenly has so many different extracurricular and I mourned that so much. And then my son's really into video games and worked his first job full time all summer. So where was he like? the time thing that's that's painful. that's where i'm at right now like mm -hmm. and it's been crushing me like because it, it was hard but here's how we reset it so it was hard in the beginning then for thanksgiving break um we decided and we also got lucky with a friend who works at disney but we uh got to go to disneyland for two days during thanksgiving break so flying for two days there and back and being at disney two days 
that was so good for us. Just the time, just marinating in each other's time, walking around, being at the hotel, eating food, like, and what I've learned since then is I've been very, very, very proactive about family dinners when they don't have activities and board games and going to the zoo the other day. We went to the zoo and went to a Greek diner. Just our love, kids' love language is food. And when we're buying them good food, they just hang around and just don't complain. Um, sometimes we go to movies, but food is the way like sitting around at a restaurant, waiting and just chilling and eating. I know it's going to be expensive while they're teenagers, but I feel like it's an investment, right? It's almost like dating, right? You you have to like, the, the money is like worth it to, for that time and for that interaction and for those smiles. And so we're just kind of bribing our kids with food and board games and trying to hang out a little bit as we can and then giving them a big break when, you know, when we can. My, my oldest turned 14 last February. So she's about to turn 15 and like that instant transition. Instant. I know. uh, (laughs) We we didn't have, we didn't allow her to have a smartphone until she turned 14. The minute the smartphone hit shift, like the constant communication with her friends, the chatting, Snapchatting, no Snapchat, no snapping um, yet. Um, I'm sure that that's coming, but she has an art Instagram because she does graphic art and then she, and she has her own. And like the fact that her friends follow me on Instagram now, they're like, Oh, that's weird. (laughs) And like, they're like, say, they're like, Oh, I saw your dad post this. And I'm like, now I'm having to be careful what I post about, you know, like on a parent level. I Uh, And, but just like, then she hit high school and mm-hmm. instantly high school uh marching band three same with my daughter week. marching band takes so like that was the biggest thing it was like i felt like i was her personal assistant did you feel like that when it I comes did. to marching band uh, i'm giving you rides i'm making your meals i'm doing your laundry i'm paying the bill like parades every other week football mm-hmm. games all the time mm-hmm. and like uh and then a boy came into the picture and oh. he's <laughs> He's a in marching band and he's, he's a cool kid and they're friends, but like, that's a lot in one time. Yeah. We have friends, but we don't have the drama of, we, we want the drama. I'll say that. I'm not going to say much more because I'll get in big trouble, but we're, we're pining for the relationships, not me necessarily, Uh, whatever, you know, I'm cool with it. I'm open. And so just like dealing with a boy hanging out at our house or just getting in rides and like, you know, we're watching movies. The and right stuff. thing. You're doing the right thing. Cause my parents, I mean, I, God bless them, but I wish that our house was the house to hang out at, you know? Yeah. Would have been and, a little better. And then uh, she finishes her driving portion of driver's ed today. Mm-hmm. So it's my just like driving. Yep. So it's, it's been a experience. fun parenting experience. I had a really cool feeling today though. I was, I dropped off the kids at school and I just had this, I said to myself and I said to God, I was like, well, we're on a new path. We are, we're ramping up to them leaving. And I felt that today when I dropped them off from school, it's like, we're doing the right things. We're doing it. We're busting ass. We're getting it done and making them love each other and letting them know they're loved and love others. And that's all we can do for the next couple of years. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, I didn't think I was here yet, but man, it's just yeah. coming full steam. You're there. Um, so uh, you have recently uh, begun a new journey with uh, prison chaplaincy. And yes, let, my new let's, job. Let's talk about that because I'm excited about that. What's okay, that look I'm like for you? I'm excited about that. Well, for a long time, I kind of was uh, 
Well, I worked at Scum of the Earth Church for 16 years, and I started as a curator of an art gallery, and then eventually did women's ministry and mentoring, and definitely found my footing in preaching, and I love preaching. I really do. Um, it's awesome. And yeah, so I was comfortable doing that. And then when I turned about 40, I felt that I should, well, it was sudden. And all of a sudden I was like, I think I'm going to leave scum of the earth. And I was like, you are not thinking that like you love scum of the earth. And I do, but I decided to leave so that I could do sacred things outside of church walls. Yeah. Because it was, it was a good life and it was a good career and it was a good, I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird career, but I have to raise my own support, but it is a career. It's a choice of how I, you know, spend my time. It's that or a different job. And, uh, I decided to um, go into basically like, I guess we call it urban shepherding. I don't know. Like I'm kind of like a pastor at large. Like I do premarital counseling. I work at an apartment church. I do a lot of outreach, help with a lot of clothing and food banks, connecting the dots between churches that need and churches that have. And also I was doing a lot of volunteering at the women's prison. And so I did that for about seven years. Um, and the last three with the goal of becoming a chaplain, once I learned what chaplains did, and once I learned the access they have to the offenders and the impact they can have in their lives, I was like, yep, this is what I want to do. Um, so the chaplain that is there now, she's a wonderful lady. She's, a she's an Episcopalian priest and she is, you know, she's aging out of her career and basically said to me three years in. I don't want anyone to have my job, but maybe you could have my job. <laughs> and then the past last year, she basically said yes. And so I did all the training, which is a couple months through the prison. And it's a lot of training. And now, yeah, I'm an official. I have a, a job with the state of Colorado as an associate chaplain. And so that's interesting because the prisons want faith workers. They need them, but they don't pay them. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's an interesting thing. And they'll even say, you know, we have expectations. Well, no, they don't say expectations. They say we have, no, do they say, they say basically they have hopes for us, but they can't, they have expectations, but they can't enforce them. Like we want you to come in this many hours. We need this from you. Our population needs this from you. Our society needs this from you, but we don't pay you. So figure it out, <laughs> which is cool. Cause I raise support to do it. Um, but it is new also to, um, have this feeling of like authority within the prison, like to have my keys and my laminate and my, you know, my presence. Do you know who Nadia Boltzweber is? No. She's an author and um, she's a Lutheran priest and she does ministry there and she is a presence. I mean, she's really tall and she wears all black and she wears the white collar when she does, you know, her, um, her meetings. And it was so interesting because yesterday I was in the prison and I, you know, right now they're low on staffing like everybody else. So I'm in a smaller like weight room in the gym and I have about 40 offenders with me and four volunteers and I'm the chaplain. And then she had the whole gym and she had speakers and she had a crew going. And uh, it's just a cool feeling to be like a lot of cool women are going in there and bringing the word and bringing hope and bringing prayer and encouragement and Man, I felt good because when you show up, you don't know how many people are going to come and people don't have to come. It's not like classes or like, you know, sobriety classes. It's 
with chapel, it's like, do you want to go? And I had like, like I said, I had a big crew. It was awesome. And then like we started and more and more people kept coming and I had to get more chairs. And I was like, yeah, this is rad. It was good. Sorry, I'm excited. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited for I you. Do like, like it. I do like it. It's it's heavy, but it's beautiful. Um, With the heavy, um, what do, what do you do to uh, not carry the weight of the heavy with you through the rest of the time? There's a few different things. So the first thing that helps with the heavy, when you're a pastor of a church um, or, you know, a women's pastor, anything like that, you, you have the cell phone. And so people are calling you in the middle of the night. People are evicted. People are having a domestic situation. People are struggling with their faith. They come to your home. They're in your lives. You're babysitting their kids. You're at the hospital when they need you. With the prison, they can't. You go home, you take the heavy, but they don't have your phone number. They don't have your address. There, there is that physical separation, that space. Um, so that helps, I guess I would say, because you can't, you can pray for them, but you can't contact them. So there's off hours, which I like, I'll be honest. And that's part of why I chose this career in my second part of life was because uh, I did that kind of pastoring life when the kids were in elementary school. And so many evenings, there were Bible study evenings, there's, you know, board meetings at the church, there's this, there's that. So many evenings I was with church too much, probably too much. So now that the kids are teenagers, I decided to, uh, I made a decision when the kids were little, instead of doing like what my mom did, and I love my mom, she didn't do anything wrong, but a lot of people, their career starts slow and then they ramp it up. And then when their kids are teenagers, they're all work. I decided to do opposite, right? Like I'll be super busy when they, their needs are tiny, you know? And then, um, now that they're high school, basically after 4 PM, I'm trying not to work too much. That's awesome. Same with weekends. So that helps. And then the other thing that helps is, um, I guess it just helps knowing that there is a little, it's so weird to say this, but I will say, this is the first time I've publicly gotten to say this. And I wanted to say it because I wanted to tell the community out there, you know how there's a yard when you watch prison movies, there's a yard. It's yeah. the big green area and everybody's walking to and fro. Some people are in handcuffs because they're coming or going. Some people are you know, they train dogs at the prison. Some people are new. Some people are going to chow, whatever. Do you know the number one phrase I hear yelled across the yard? No. I love you. It's fascinating. The women in there, especially the ones that need each other, find the ones that need each other. I love you. And you hear across the yard, I love you too. Call, I'll see you later. I love you. And certain ones don't live in the same units, but they, it's so all the time. Every time I go, I hear, I love you. Oh, that's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> I never, I wouldn't have thought. And so I, I rest assured knowing there's a little community in there and God bless them. There's, there's one woman in there. It's been there 26 years and she's a lifer and she loves the Lord. She's always bringing people to Bible study. I just, I can't fathom. I cannot fathom. I can't fathom. I, I sat last night. I was thinking, and I write in a journal when I get home and I was like, I'm going to, the, the things that make me sick to my stomach. Cause you know how that is, right? When you do ministry. Yeah. Is that there is one pair of pants. They all wear the same pair of pants and we're talking over a thousand women. 
they're given five bras. There's three types of shoes to choose from. And, and, and to be honest, the other thing that is stark and in your face when you show up, some of them, they, they make themselves look nice, right? But we're talking, when you look at society, how many women dye their hair? Yeah, like a- All of us. Yeah. <laughs> when you go to the prison, how many women are gray? Or there's three kinds of glasses they can pick from and not contacts or their teeth. They don't get, you know, it's just, it's stark. Women, we rely so much on this, on beauty, so much money, so much time. And when you take that away, what do women look like? It's, it is, it is humbling. It is humbling to see that that has been taken from them. And yet they walk with the dignity and the beauty that they, they're God-given beauty, right? But it, but it is, it is, it is in your face. These are just the things that I've noticed that I didn't realize. And then all of a sudden you're going, everyone has the same three glasses. They have three kinds to pick from. And we're talking, like I said, over a thousand women. See, it makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> it's good, but it's hard. It's good. But, and then here's the other thing. I just want to end on a good note talking about the prison, right? The majority of women that I've met aren't there super long, right? Yeah. And that's the cool thing is I see them and then they go, well, I'm getting my, putting in my papers. I won't see you, Chaplain Ortega. I won't see you. And I say, all right, won't see you. And they're like, I'm going back to where my family's from. Won't see you. And next week I come and they're gone. And I don't say goodbye and I don't get to see them again. And we did a prayer and everyone prayed and we said goodbye and don't ever see them again. They're, they're gone. And you just rest with that. Okay. That was cool. It's it's a very, you know, this is where I'm here. This is where I'm here with you. And then someone else will be there for you, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's different. It's a different kind of ministry entirely. Well, that's one of the things that I've seen so often is like, you know, prison ministry is one of the ministries that Jesus specifically mentions. Mm. Like, you know, of all the ministries that exist now, that's one mm. of the ones he mentioned by name. Mm. And it's one of the ones I feel like the church does the least with as mm. a whole. Well, like part of the, that's true. But part of the problem with the, with the prison system, and I'm not going to say it's easily remedied is you can't just have anybody going in. Mm. And that's why I'm grateful to do this because I got asked to do prison ministry 10 years, no longer than 10 years ago. Well, basically a woman came up to me at a coffee shop and we started chatting and she found out I was a Christian and she said, I do prison ministry. Would you like to do it with me? And I had two little kids at the time. And I said, I would love to, but no, I put her phone number in my phone. And seven years later, I called her and I said, do you remember me? And she said, yeah. And I said, I'm ready. So the kids are in full-time school and I feel healthy and ready and capable. And she was on my team yesterday. Like, yeah, it was a season and I knew it. I knew it. It's, you cannot go into it as a vulnerable person. Yeah. But, but for those of us who can do it, and I guess I would say that to any listeners, for those of you who could do it, who find yourself in a healthy space, uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, they definitely are always looking for volunteers. You have to do training and you have to commit. But if you do your training and commit, there is a need. They call in Denver, they call it faith and citizens programs. And yeah, there's Quakers in there. There's, you know, they have God behind bars, which is more of a like Red Rocks church, you know, like the Calvary kind of thing. They have yoga, they have 
Uh, yesterday, they had a Native American drum circle. I mean, Faith and Citizen Groups is comprised of everybody. And then the offenders can sign up for what suits them. So you mentioned the um, the lady that had the whole gym full and everything had her specific outfit. Do you have a do you have a specific <laughs> outfit you wear? Is there a uniform for you? Well, in the beginning, when I first started coming to the prison, it was very strict on rules. So um, I had to go to Ross and buy clothes, which is because I couldn't you couldn't wear jeans, you couldn't wear sneakers. So I had to get slacks, button up blouses. The good thing is you can wear black. So there's certain colors you can't wear. Obviously, you can't wear green because they're wearing green, bright yellow. Who's going to wear it anyway? Um, but you can't wear blue because that's what the uh, correctional officers wear. So mostly patterns, but black is totally fine. So now recently, this last year after the pandemic, they said jeans are okay in good condition and athletic shoes are okay in good condition. But I got told I had to take my nose ring out and I'm so sad. I had a big old black nose ring. And then honestly, my red hair, it's in the rules that you're not supposed to, but, and I have full on, you know, tattoos and stuff, but whatever, like everyone has tattoos, like majority of the women have, you know, full on and the police officers. So I don't dress like anything. I dress like myself, but the one thing I do have is a big old honking cross. I wear. Yeah. And it's wooden. And the reason I wear it is, um, I want to identify with Jesus. I want people to know I'm a Christian faith worker. You know, maybe they see those tattoos. Maybe they see that dyed hair and they're like, oh, because 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 everyone's kind of being like, what group should I go to? Who do I identify with? And I don't need to look like a priest because I'm not a priest, but it's like, yeah, I love Jesus. And my cross says on one side, um, I am counting on Christ. And on the other side, it says Christ is counting on me. Oh, that's great. Oh. <laughs> no, right? Um, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, so do you feel like this is going to be like long-term calling for yeah. you? Yeah. And I, uh, I've talked to the Lieutenant there and I met the warden the other day and put my foot in my mouth. The warden's like the big cheese. Right. And he had come into the, uh, one of the units where I was doing a chapel and he was chatting with some of the offenders and he was basically saying, you know, they're going to build a huge chapel there. They have plans and they have seed money. So in 2024, there will be a chapel at the prison. And uh, so I was chatting with him and I was like, are you a chaplain? And he's like, the lady started laughing and I was like, what? And they're like, he's the warden. And I was like, you're the one who approved me being a chaplain. And so I shook his hand and it was like, you're the, you're the boss. <laughs> so it's cool saying hi to him. So I feel like in my fifties and maybe sixties, yeah, this'll be, I, you know, who knows? I, I think being a prison chaplain, who knows, maybe hospice chaplain. Mm -hmm. That's another thing where if I feel I could handle it. And I feel like I can handle those kind of spaces. Like I'm, this sounds maybe messed up, but you know how it is in ministry. Like you're desensitized enough to sit there with people. You, you have to be sensitive enough, sensitive enough and desensitized enough. Um, so that might be another place for me, space for me. Thick skin without a hard heart. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, honestly, like I've been in a lot of uh, hospice situations from being a, uh, just from being a family member of people who've passed away in that situation. And also being a pastor, I've sat with people and prayed with people in hospice and I'm, I feel like I'm comfortable and could, I would need a lot of training and education in that area, but 
that's again, I feel like, I feel like all of us have certain callings that we fill a space that is difficult for a period and then get out of the way and let someone else do it. Right. And that was even being a pastor. Like I got out, once I felt like I was getting a little like mm, burnt out, get out of the way, let someone else be a pastor. Or I did, you know, work with inner city kids and I was starting to like discipline them, like get out of the way. Like <laughs> that's not what you're here for. Right. Like you find the space where you can be effective and not get burnt out. Yeah. Once you've accomplished what you can accomplish without crumbling, it's probably mm -hmm. a good time to move And forward. to be honest, Five Iron is a massive, amazing outlet for me. I need that. Like my husband says, I'm the best wife when I have Five Iron in my life. I need a reason to get dolled up and to get like on stage and get on my attention because I am an attention freak. Like I like all that attention and rock stardom and I'm, in, I'm into it. Let's do it. <laughs> That's one of the things for me is when I'm going to cons and stuff like that to get mm -hmm. that to get that little thing of like, okay, I don't have to be, you get the boost. And I'm like, I don't have to take all of your family problems or your issues or your struggles for the rest of the day. It's just like, okay, all right, great. And for me, it's like many retreats. It's like, I have a hotel room and I relish in it. I got two beds and I've got one with all my clothes on it, just laying like trashed. I can be the trashed up mom having coffee at 11 AM. Don't have to meet at the lobby till three. I'm chilling. <laughs> Um, has there been anything that you felt like this has, uh, specifically your prison ministry, has taught you as a person and as a minister? Gratitude. I mean, how many times do I have to hear people say, I don't like being in here, but I know that the Lord had a reason for it before it finally sticks with me. Be grateful for the situation you find yourself in. Be patient for the situation you find yourself in, you know? How can you not? I mean, I get like upset just thinking about it. When I first started, there's a drive. So if you live in Colorado, you know driving west is sacred because you see the mountains, right? And the prison is right up I-70, which is the road you go to the mountains on, the big ones. And so in the first 10 minutes of driving, Number one, I recognize that I've gone further than most of those women will in years. The second thing I realize is I'm pointing west and I'm seeing the mountains and the whole view. The third thing, by the time that night hits and I'm tucking my kids in and kissing them and thinking of all the mothers and grandmothers I've been hanging out with that day. There's just no way. There's no way after that, the praying at night and the tucking in was different. How can it not be? And I, and I try to hold that from my kids. I'm not going to let them know, like, what? I'm thinking about these people. Hmm. It changes you. It changes you because you, you have. So, um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that's no, that's, that's good. It's true though. It is true. Yeah. You but I want to say, I do want to say one more thing. And it's, go, go, it's sad to say, it is sad to say, but I have to say it because I don't want to, I don't want to make offenders out to be victims. It's, it's a different situation. Um, I do believe there are choices and I do believe that society, yeah, some people are there, you know, wrongly or too long, or the situation was terrible, but for a lot of them, they recognize that they have a victim or victims and um, it's a chance to grow before they they rejoin society. And so that is okay too. It's okay 
to recognize that people have made mistakes and are and are defined past their mistakes. But I'm not going to say that everybody there is just a total victim. So part of it is letting them know you are loved regardless. You are so loved. You are so worthy. You are so needed back in society. So let's get you on that path. You're loved beyond your consequences. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you'd also mentioned the, that uh, your support raising to do this. Mm-hmm. So how is that journey going for you? <laughs> um, it's going good right now, but that's the thing. This is a long-term career. So I, you know, I do ask a lot of people to support me because I recognize people tithe. I kind of think of it like an urban missionary, yeah. like a missionary where people give like 25 bucks, 40 bucks, 50 bucks a month. That's the average in there, you know? Um, and so I have to ask a lot of people, right, to get my paycheck. <laughs> um, so it's going okay, but you know, the end of the year is usually big one-time gifts, and I know that. And then taxes, big one-time gifts, and then end of the year, big one-time gifts. But what really helps is having monthly donors, and it's a tax write-off. And I work through a, it's called Urban Sky, and there's a handful of us that are doing very creative, different ministries. All of us do different things, from writing curriculum to um, Some people are counseling those that have left the sex trade to um, a lot of life coaches. You know, a cancer survivor is telling her story and becoming a public speaker. So all of us raise support to live out our calling. And it's a tax write-off for people, but you go to urbansky, S-K-Y-E dot org, and you can read all the bios. They're fascinating. And then find people to donate to. And yeah, I'm one of them. (laughs) And I did... I was a support-based minister for mm. nine or 10 years of my life, mm-hmm. and it's never easy, but no. I I never saw God not be faithful either. And there's yeah. been a lot of opportunities like in my adult life in the last few years where I'll have ministry opportunities present themselves, and then I'm like, I hear that it's support raised, and I'm like, mm. Mm. like <laughs> And it's just like, I know God can do it, but I don't know that I want to do it. And like, there's stuff that I've genu- genuinely like not considered because yeah. I don't want to make that effort. But, and so one, I applaud you for being faithful in what you're called to do. And, but, you know, just because you don't get a standard paycheck doesn't mean it's not blessed or set up right. for you to do it. So, um, but urban sky with an E dot org, mm-hmm. and, uh, you can find more about supporting Leonore there with that. And uh, I'll put links and stuff in the, thank you on everything. So, you know, I appreciate what you do. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thanks for being a supporter. It was interesting when I was talking to the the current uh, chaplain and I was like, I want your job. And she's like, you know, I raise support. And I'm like, well, at least I know how to do it. <laughs> Been there, done that. Let's do it. <laughs> yep. Still want her job. Well, thanks for interviewing me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate all that you do with faith and fandom. Well, you're very welcome. And um, thanks again. And everybody, we appreciate you. And uh, you check out uh, Urban Sky with an E.org to find and out check more. Check out Five Iron Frenzy. <laughs> the, I used to listen to Five Iron Frenzy stickers and everything. Um, I really did love the, um, these are not my pants, sweatpants, by the way. Those, you need that some, was, bro. It's <laughs> on my list. Yep. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right. See ya.